Sometimes it takes a rock bottom to abandon destructive habits, to rediscover our purpose and carve out a whole new direction. This is what happened to world champion sprinter Katie Williams when her career came to a sudden halt at the age of 23. Now, without sport, Katie had to reshape her identity, refine her habits, and deepen the connection with her mind and body. Fast forward to now, six years later, and Katie shares those lessons in her podcast, Better For It, which is this incredible tap of knowledge for all things health and wellness. And in today's episode, we're lucky enough to sit down with Katie to get a peek into that incredible mindset. Welcome back to Becoming. My name is Nick Slater. And in this episode, you will learn the specific tools and practices which help Katie navigate her energy as it varies day to day. We talk about ways to cultivate an abundance mindset. We discuss Katie's recent ADHD diagnosis and emotion regulation techniques which might help you. Why flexibility with the morning routine is so important. The pros and cons of working in social media. And we also discuss Katie's sexuality, the difference between dating a man and a woman, and her advice for anyone out there questioning or coming to terms with their own sexuality. If you enjoy this one as much as I did recording it, please consider subscribing. And without further ado, the lovely Katie Williams. You shared this on your Instagram recently, and it really stopped me in my tracks because I could relate to it. But the quote was, if it's out of your hands, it deserves freedom from your mind as well. Yes. And then you went on to say that life gets so much easier when you just let go and there's so much peace in surrender. So why did you share that? I shared it because surrendering is something that I've learned more so in my recent years. You said before that when you're feeling in fear, you control. And I resonated with that a lot because the more I fear, the more I control. So... If I'm fearful of work, I'll start like emailing people, reaching out and kind of feeling like I need to do more in order to receive more. Mm. When in fact for work, particularly for me, it's the opposite. I need to work on my energy, work on myself, take time for me. Yes, take inspired, aligned action, but never from a place of fear. Mm. So if I haven't had like money coming in, the best thing I can do is sit down and manifest money, not sit down and roguely email everyone I've worked with and do it in a panic state. Mm. So for me, it's all about controlling my energy and manifesting the right kind of work. Mm. Coming back to surrender, there's so much in our life that is completely out of our control. I would say like 90% of our life is out of our control. So if we can stop and control the things that we do every day, that's all we can control. We can control how we react. We can control what words we say. We can control what words we speak to speak to ourselves. We can control our daily habits, meditation, going for a swim. If you're feeling stressed, how can you state change? What can you do to get yourself out of that situation? Mm. But most of the things in our life are out of our control, except for, I would say, how we respond to things and our daily habits. When... I do get worried about work. I overcompensate and I really try and force results. But often the best thing to do, and it's counterintuitive, is just to sit back and let things come to you. I think a good example of that, especially, you know, because obviously you and I work for ourselves, if we're in this fear mindset, 
limit, like in this limited mindset and we're saying yes to events or we're saying yes to work that we don't want to do, we're actually not showing up anywhere near our potential. We're at events, we're exhausted, we don't want to be there. That is not going to generate work or wealth. Mm. What's going to generate work and wealth is sitting really getting clear on what brands you want to work for. Do I need to pivot my own brand? What content is going to provide value? And how can I do this from a place of wholeness and back to my true self? Otherwise, jobs will come through. You'll say yes because you haven't had work in a while. Mm. It will be completely not aligned to your brand or who you are. And then you kind of just on this rat wheel, this rat race of trying to make money that's not anywhere near your brand. Speaking more broadly about abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset, are you someone who naturally gravitates towards an abundance mindset or is it something that you have to remind yourself to enter? I would say I lean more of having to remind myself that I really do think it comes down to worthiness and also imposter syndrome. So I do believe that to be abundant and to trust in the universe and to trust in your own value and self-worth it comes down to whether or not you have imposter syndrome, which Mm. is if you believe in yourself. And I often have to remind myself of my worth or remind myself of, you know, particularly if I've lost a job or I've lost a substantial amount of money, which happens quite often, I have to remind myself that this is just a part of the job. So much of our income is in the hands of our agents and in the hands of of the brands that want to work with us or repeat work with us. So because of that, it can be difficult to have this constant state of work comes to me, work, it's, it's easy, it flows in. Because the reality is there's someone younger with more followers who's off the back of a TV show or someone who's more relevant, that's like right at your heels. Right. So it's this fine balance of one, creating an abundance mindset through journaling, through meditation, through visual, visualization, through you know, writing a letter to yourself or however you create an abundance mindset versus what's actually in front of us, which is a lot of setbacks and having to have a lot of resilience because mm. we don't have a boss, right? No one like wakes us up and is like, time to go. Yeah, It's like you have to create your own discipline routines and... How do you go with that? Because you're an incredibly fit person. <laughs> like you're obviously very disciplined with that side of things, <sighs> having to create your own structure and routines. Yeah. Are you, how do you go with that? innately I'm disciplined. I don't know if I'm innately disciplined, but I grew up as an athlete. So I spent my whole life training and I spent 10 years of my life coached with two incredible coaches and a team. So I, when I say a team, physio, a strength conditioning coach, sprint coach, and then I was in the Australian team. So for a lot of my life, discipline was something that I learned And I know I'm disciplined now because I've had, I'm 30 and I started at four. So I've had 26 years of a pretty disciplined life. Yeah. So discipline is an easy thing for me now. It was actually learning the opposite of being able to rest and have more flow, be more in my feminine and allow myself time to be creative. So for me, it's a really fine balance. I need routine. I need my non-negotiables for my mental health, but I also need to have some flexibility in there. So to give you an example, I don't like to pull out on people or events and I'm very integral with my word. Right. But on the other hand, 
if I'm feeling run down, maybe I'm having a bad mental health day, I just need some alone time. Having a boundary in there and being okay to say no to someone else, to say yes to me, Mm. is something that's taken me quite a long time to learn. Mm -hmm. So routines and structure is necessary, but there also has to be some flexibility. Yeah. It can't, it, it has to be serving you in every way. Your yeah. routine must serve you. If it's coming from a place of fear, if you're going to the gym because you hate your body, that's that's no way to live. Sure. If yeah. you're working because you're afraid that you're not going to pay your bills, that's hard. You, it's, It really does come down to shifting your mindset. Mm. Trying to bring in those feminine qualities when you're very rigid or very good with your discipline and rigid with your routine. I think I also dance between managing the, that masculine and feminine energy, yes. especially with a self-motivated work because on one hand, it's great to be disciplined, get up at the same time and create, but because it is a creative job, sometimes you can't just sit down and create something. At 9am. Exactly. So yeah. it's, a, it's about having a bit of nuance and compassion for yourself trying to move between those two things. And I don't don't know if you'll I'll ever get that balance right. Well, every day is different, right? Like I was saying to you this morning, I was running late because I had to re-edit a video that was going to go up today. Um, but most of the time I try and structure my day depending on how I feel in the morning, which kind of seems ridiculous. But if I wake up and I'm feeling really tired and run down, I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm actually just going to have a sauna or go for a walk or maybe just lay in bed. Mm. So I think, you know, when you are working for yourself, burnout is such a real thing. Burnout is such a real thing in general. But if you do have autonomy over your schedule and you can be flexible with your routine, I usually ask myself, what do I actually need today? What does my, what does my soul need? Mm. And sometimes that's not sitting down at my desk at 8 o'clock to get this work done. It's giving myself the grace and the time to meditate, to journal, to go for a walk, to have a swim, to do some breath work, to do something that recenters me, to then come back at a time that feels more appropriate and get that work done when I have a clear mind. Because I can get really clouded and really scattered Mm. easily. Is it hard for you to identify what your soul needs in that moment? Because maybe you wake up tired and a training at the gym might actually help you, might revitalize you or maybe a sauna is going to serve you better. Is it hard to work out which one's going to be best? No, it's very easy for me. I think now, it never used to be, I pushed my body to its absolute limits to my detriment. Like my health was in a really bad way. Um, That's why I retired early. Right. So now I'm very strict on my own physical boundaries because I didn't trust myself for, for a very long time. I would push myself to the limits constantly. And I ended up in hospital a few times. So it's like now I know, hey, what do I actually need right now? And I'll do like a body check. How am I feeling? I've been injured. So I'm like, how's my hip feeling? How's my back feeling? Mm. Out of 10, how's my energy? Like I'll do like a check-in every day really. Um, Physically that's quite easy, but mentally it's not. So I struggle with the mental check-in because I'm so good at pushing through most things. And I think physically it's easy because you can go, oh, I've got a bit of a sore throat or I'm a bit sore. Like physically I know that a sauna is going to help me more or just laying in bed or just having a stretch. So physically I know that the gym's not right for me today. But mentally it's kind of hard because there's a few things you can do to state change and change your cognitive health. But in these moments, like if I'm feeling anxious, there are a lot of things that I can do but there's a lot of things that I avoid when I'm anxious as well. So I struggle more so with 
having boundaries for my mental health than I do physically. Because physically I've been at this forever. Sure. Yeah. yeah well drilled in that. Yeah. And so what was the, the straw that broke that eventually made you retire? Well, I actually had, um, so I was training for world titles uh, in Holland. I was a sprinter. I was a beach runner and I was Australian champion. I'm coming into junior world champion, coming in, wanting to be this senior world champion in a different age group. Um, I retired at like 23, 24, which is quite young, but I reached my peak at like 19 and I'd been doing it for so many years that I was really burnt out and I was really running from a place of fear and so much of my confidence, self-esteem and sense of worth was external. Everything was external. It was people clapping for me, seeing me on TV, like I had to be winning or I was a failure. Like so, so much of my worth and identity was tied up in sport. And unfortunately, I had this attitude of if I'm not first, I'm last, which is a shocking attitude. And it did not serve me. It served me in the short term, but in the long term, I had to, through therapy, unlearn so many of these behaviours. Where all of your reward mechanisms were ex extrinsic. Yes, yes. And it's taken me a really long time to break that because obviously being in this industry, a lot of our rewards are also external. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the straw that broke the camel ba camel's back for me was um, I had a really bad chest infection, sinus infection and chest infection that continued and I trained through it constantly. I would train through all my sicknesses and all my injuries. Mm. Psychotic, really. <laughs> um, because I wanted to win and I thought that my body was a machine and I just thought I am going to do everything right I'm an, and I thought I was doing everything right but I was neglecting my emotional health, I was in, neglecting my mental health and I was very much neglecting my spiritual health. I didn't really know who I was outside of sure. running. Yeah. Um, so, and also the pressure was just wild for me that I put on myself. I only told myself that I could retire if I won this, this, this race. And I had already won it, but I needed to win it in this older age group to prove to myself that I was Beast. good. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I was, that all of this, you know, this, this, my life's work was put on this race. That's literally what it was. I was like, this is my life's work wow. in this race. I'm going to Holland and I just killed myself to get there. So I was coming in the fittest and fastest I'd ever been. I was set to win. And I um, was training through this chest infection, which then turned into bronchiolitis. I was taken to hospital with fear of pneumonia. Mm. Um, and the doctor said I had severe bronchiolitis and I was really struggling to breathe. And he said, you can't fly. So I was sitting at home. I obviously cancelled, cancelled everything, mm. cancelled my flights, cancelled the whole thing, had to tell my coaches, had to tell my sponsors and was sitting in the hospital bed being like, what is my life? Like, what am I, tr what am I putting all this pressure on myself for? Like, I don't feel whole. I don't feel like a human if I'm not, if I can't do this. And I really just pushed myself to the absolute limit. Um, so I retired in what felt like was a really sad way. And I still have some healing. I still have healing to do with it, you know, being this many years on. Mm. But I, if it wasn't for reaching complete rock bottom, and then I was quite depressed after that, had a car crash after that. There's a few things that kind of fell apart. And it was a physical fall apart because I was neglecting all the other parts of my health. Um, and the podcast was born after right. that. Yeah. Um, I started working with women. I had a, a business called Real Talk where I did women's workshops. And I started to understand um, the energetic body, the emotional body. I started um, meditating. I started journaling. I started mm. doing really deep therapy. And I started to understand 
who I was without sport. Right. And that was my whole life. So if it wasn't for me not getting my retiring race and pushing myself to the limit, I wouldn't be who I am now. Mm. Um, yeah, it's funny how yeah. that was quite a, a a blessing in disguise where yeah. it really forced you to evolve and, and step into that next chapter. Yeah, like I was such a psycho. I was so <laughs> masculine and so driven and so, like obsessed and that obsession is needed as an athlete. I bet. Um, but it does not serve you in the real world. Sure. Like. Yeah, did it, did it take a, a, a real, was it a process really shifting your identity and finding out who you were forming that, that new self-identity without sport, without sprinting? Yes. I was an athlete for my whole life until I retired. And then when I retired, I was like, well, I'm still an athlete, but like, what do I do now? Yeah. And I still haven't found that. Interesting. I still have that competitor in me and I still have that athlete in me. But the athlete comes out when I have deadlines and when I'm sure. working on a project. Yeah. It's a lot of the tools I've learned as an athlete now translate into my workspace. Mm. But I still like, um, like I'll train, I want to do an MMA fight. I've cool. never done MMA. Yes. But I still have this missing link in my life because I'm not an, an elite athlete anymore, that's still missing because it's that challenge. It's yeah, that like, right. fuck, like there's thousands of people watching me right now. Like there's, it's just this rush. Yeah. And without finding ways to fill that rush, you can go into a dark place. You did Ninja Warrior, didn't you? <laughs> was was that, I'm just thinking now, was that. <gasps> Such a, I wiped out. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, babe. <laughs> was that an attempt to find that rush? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. There's a lot of things I did in the past that were, to feel avoided, to make me feel um, like I was good enough, uh, which, you know, it's not a very nice place to be in. Mm. And a lot of the things I did after retiring were to fill the void. Yeah. I spent a lot of years partying um, and avoiding my feelings mm. and trying to feel that scent, that rush that I had. Um, whereas now, like... I can have a ice bath and get the rush. Right. I can like work on a project and get the rush. Mm. I can get on stage and speak and get that rush. You know, I'm finding it's taking me a long time to find really healthier, more productive ways of getting that sense of adrenaline. That also nourish your body as well. Yes. Don't take away from it. Um, but I did years and years of, of not looking after myself. Yeah. I think that kind of goes hand in hand with being an athlete. There's sure. this other side of you that's like the shadow self. Mm. It was it was quite destructive at times. Do, yeah. you, do you have to work hard with your training these days not to let that shadow self overrun it and overtrain you to the point where you might get injured or overtrain? No, I think now because um, my physical body is always the first to go, for me it's like I've actually been quite run down for a month now. Um, and I know that that is because I'm not dealing, I'm not dealing with my emotional side. Mm. So it comes out physically for me. So my dog just died recently and I've had this issue with my lungs and grief is stored in the lungs. Right. So I'm a lot more aware now I've done, like I'm very into energy work. Um, and I do think that the body carries a lot of trauma and the body shows you physical ailments that are a lot to do with, uh, emotional trauma or things that you haven't processed. Mm. So I'm very intuitive with that now. I don't push my body like I used to. Um, 
I actually haven't trained in a whole month, which yeah, is wow. very unlike me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been going through a lot emotionally and I've allowed my body the time to rest because my immune system's been low. Yeah. So I would say now I'm extremely intuitive with my body and I don't see myself falling back into any kind of overtraining because I feel that it almost ruined my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got to reach these points where yeah. you're like, wow, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, because it was the detriment, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's why I retired. So I have much better boundaries now, but it took me a very, very long time a to long get time. there. You said you've just got back from a trip. Yes. So was this an intentional break from work and training or was it just a holiday? Yeah. Um, my girlfriend and I did two months away, no work at all. Brilliant. Um, we did some training over there, but, um, I got really sick in Colombia oh, and ended up in hospital. And then Georgia hurt her back. So we just, it was quite interesting. It like, I think the trip on paper looked like this beautiful, magic, incredible trip, which it was so great, but we had some serious hiccups. Right. Like going to hospital in Colombia yeah, is rough. Yeah. It's like a shanty hospital. I don't know how we didn't get robbed there, like hectic. And then we had a few days where Georgia couldn't walk. So I'm like, oh, she no. hurt her back in the gym. <laughs> oh, no. So like, we, this is in Mexico. I had to get a doctor to come to the house. I had to try and get medicine. There's massive language barrier. I'm having to like roll out of bed, walk her so she can pee in the shower. <laughs> like, so I think it was like, we had some, re it was such a beautiful trip and I loved it. I didn't work. So yes, it was an intentional break. Um, but we definitely had some bonding experiences. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah, what were the lessons you took out of those little moments of getting sick or injured? I think um, I, I already know that you can never take your health for granted and without your health, you have nothing. So mm. that was just a, another reminder, which, you know, that's definitely a massive one for me anyway. But I think for her and I, it was that, you know, you think travel is going to be just this bliss, incredible experience, which it, it definitely was, but... There's so, like I got I got robbed. I had clothes stolen um, from a hotel. Uh, we had um, a really bad experience <laughs> on a bus in, on the way to Colombia. And then when I arrived that night, I was violently ill, taken no. to hospital. So it's like, I think you just go, you just can't have any expectations. You just got to roll with the punches. Mm, mm. Um, we also always had cash on us because like wherever you are, like if we didn't have our cash and passports in the hospital, they would have not taken me in. So right. it's like, I think you've got to be like prepared for emergencies, yeah. but also like surrender to the fact that you don't have any control in this country. Mm. Like well, you are foreigners. And we did Mexico, we did parts, parts of Mexico in um, Puerto Escondido. We did Colombia um, and then we did West Hollywood, which was really eye-opening. Was it? Yeah, lots of homeless people, lots of drugs. So I guess actually my biggest lesson was how blessed we are and feeling so privileged to come back to a country that is so safe. Mm. And that is we are so lucky to have a roof over our heads yeah. and to be able to afford food and a warm bed because there is a lot going on since COVID. Traveling was really eye-opening. Interesting. It takes about two or three weeks to really unwind. Did it take a while to unwind for you guys? Yeah, definitely. I've never taken any longer than two weeks off in general um, and I've always worked. Mm. So I've never actually had like a proper break. Um, and that was confronting for me. Like I was really scared. I was saying no to work in the lead up and then I lost a lot of work because I was going away. Yeah. And that is just, it's the same thing. Like you've got to surrender. The work will come back. The brands will come back. Um, 
I wanted to launch the podcast before. I didn't do that. I ran out of time. Mm. And then so I kind of started the trip off being like, fuck, do I deserve this break? Have I worked hard enough to get this break? So that took me a real, and I'm innately very self-critical and can be hard on myself. So it took me a few weeks to be like, hey, I deserve this rest. Even if I didn't tick off the things that I wanted to do, even if I didn't make this certain amount of money, I will make it back. It's it's this. It is a constant re rewiring yeah. um, of the negative thought patterns because they're so easily slide in. Mm. Even that, like, I don't deserve to have a break because I've I've haven't worked that hard. It's like, well, what? Where's that come from? Well, working hard for me is like really fucking myself. Sure. So it's it's re. Um, well, your benchmark is so high. Yeah, you need to sort of readdress that and bring it down to yeah. earth a little bit. Rejig like what my priorities are, and then also not be so bloody hard on myself. Yeah. What about just waking up and accepting that you didn't have tasks to do that day, or you didn't have a checklist of work items to do? Did that take a while to get yeah. used to? Oh my god, totally. And then also, like, I was still on social media the whole time, like filming the whole process. Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I didn't yeah. actually get offline. Well, that's at the all. thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is hard. I think if I don't mind that, that's the way I am because it it means that I have you know been productive, mm. but it's also honoring that for your subconscious and to be creative and to actually have clarity, you need to have a proper break. Sure. Yeah. So it's a really fine balance. It is a fine balance. <laughs> it's tricky. But you do seem like you're able to naturally share those candid, real moments. Does yeah. that come naturally to you? Do you feel comfortable sharing those private day-to-day things? Yeah, I think like if you're on social media, there is a certain amount that is required for you to share. I still remain very private in what's going on in my life. I mean, I think, you know, everyone thinks that I've probably like tough or got my shit together. It's actually completely incorrect. I'm very emotional and I definitely have really rough days. I choose to not share them because I want my page to be, I mean, I really think that Instagram and social media is something that can really dramatically affect your energy. So if you watch someone that's sad or you watch someone that's angry or watch someone that's having a rant, I actually feel, I, my body has a response to that. Yeah. So for me, even though I do share and be vulnerable sometimes on my Instagram, I want people to come to my page and be like, oh, I feel good. Mm. I feel alive. Mm. I'm learning. I don't want it to be like, oh, I feel, you know, I feel sorry for her or like she's got some shit going down right yeah. now, which yeah. we, we do. But I don't know. I've kind of always wanted to keep my page positive and aspirational. Real, I guess. Mm. And, and that means for me, if I'm having a bad day, I don't actually feel like showing up and like crying on camera or showing that. I probably could do a little bit more, um, but that for me feels also quite scary. (laughs) And that's where you have your podcast to really champion the practices and tools you use to overcome those bad days as well. It just doesn't really necessarily live on your Instagram page. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, like for you, same thing with the podcast. It's like people can actually get to know you and know what's going on in your life because Instagram is a very small snapshot of what you decide to share. Whereas the podcast is very unfiltered and TikTok's kind of unfiltered too and stories, more behind the scenes of your life. It's a fine balance between letting people in enough um, but I always find that when I talk about really personal things, like I re- recently spoke about getting diagnosed with ADHD and my DMs, there was about 300 people, like they just blew up yeah. talking about their ADHD. So yeah. that's also hard because I want to share what's going on in my life, but I can't hold space for all 
101,000 Instagram people that oh, for sure. like come then, yeah. which which I do my best so much to reply to everyone and to respond. Sometimes if it's a big message, particularly around sexuality, I will actually voice note back, but it's hard because you can actually spend five hours replying to people mm. and that is really hard. Yeah, And yeah. that is not, that's not work. That's not, that's just being able to give back to someone that you don't know and that's hard. And I can't hold space for that many people, mm. particularly on big things like ADHD, yeah. sexuality. Like I'm actually not equipped to deal with that. And it's just impractical. <laughs> There's no way you can get back to everybody. No. <laughs> it's just not a – I've always thought the Instagram DMs are just not a great way to reply to people all at once. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, that's why I've set up a an online community where people can come and actually have proper chats. And, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's just an online platform. It's called The Village and people can get in there and – connect with other listeners of the show. Oh, my God, fun. So Where I jump in at becoming.com. Oh, my God, it's a website. It's a website. Babe, yeah. well done. Thank you. It's kind of like Slack, but an online community just for listeners what, of what the show. What is Slack? Slack's like a productivity tool for companies. People have a Slack channel and on the side there's little discussion boards. So one might be podcast, one might be nutrition, and you can jump in there and have conversations because if someone's – I, asking me a question on DMs, there's a good chance someone else has already asked it. Oh my God, that's which so clever. Yeah, I'll show you it. I'll send you the thing. That's so cool. Thanks. Go you. And also giving back, like it feels good. And also just, yeah, like we were saying before, deepen the, that connection with your community. Yeah. Beyond just a 30-second skit on Instagram. I know. It's important. I know. So with your ADHD diagnosis, was yes. there an event that made you see a doctor? Was this something that you've been battling for a while? I think I've always known I was ADHD, but it was masked very well through exercise. So exercise has been proven to be the most powerful and potent, I don't want to say remedy, but like treatment for ADHD mm. above medication. So exercise, because I was a, a professional athlete for all of my life, I started at four. Exercise was the thing that grounded me, made me feel myself. If I'm not exercising, I don't feel like myself. Like I actually don't. Yeah. So I think I've always known I was ADHD, but then during lockdown, I really struggled. I struggled not seeing people. I struggled not having anywhere to go. I struggled not being able to go to the gym. Obviously everyone struggled in lockdown, but the biggest thing for me was realizing I actually can't focus when I don't have my routines and I don't have somewhere to be and I don't have things to look forward to. And focusing at home on my own, which I work from home now, but I really struggled being confined um, and being completely out of my routines. Mm. And for my whole life, I've had routines. I've had structure. I've had discipline. And I've also worked for myself. So I've masked. I've never had a boss. So I've masked, masked, is that the right word? Mm -hmm. um, so many of the ADHD patterns. But when I went into lockdown, I was like, Fuck, maybe my brain isn't normal. Maybe I am, am really different. But because I was always distracted and doing things and socializing and having all these things that kind of... Band-aid solutions. A little bit. Yeah. Um, I realized that, God, I'm really struggling at home. Um, and I was really struggling to focus and I was getting so distracted um, whereas now I know I can go to the gym, I can go for a sauna, I can have an ice bath, I can catch up with a friend, I can get out and do things that make me feel more calm, less scattered and more grounded. So during lockdown, it was just kind of like a big, 
eruption of, of realizing that I have ADHD. And I got diagnosed, but it took me a really long time. Sure. Yeah. What are some of the main comments you'll get from those 300 people on Instagram from your audience who reach out about ADHD? Is yeah. there any sort of one common question that you can address in bulk? Oh, I think a lot of the, the questions I get is how did, one, how did you know? How did you get diagnosed? What is the process? Um, what ADHD do you have? So I'm ADHD combined type, which is hyperactive and inattentive. So I've got both, not just one. Yeah, two. yeah, you do. What a star. <laughs> um, and obviously I can't diagnose anyone with ADHD. I never would. I've only ever kind of recently shared how I got diagnosed and I guess kind of what my symptoms is the wrong word, but like traits are. Yeah, sure. Um, because ADHD just doesn't really go away. It's not something that you can be like, there's definitely days that are worse and there's days that are better. But for me, it has a lot to do with how I emotionally regulate, what's going on in my life, how I'm responding to it and what my daily habits are. Mm. So when I'm not exercising, when I'm not taking time for myself, when I'm saying yes to too many things, I am not giving myself enough time to emotionally regulate um, and I actually have now had to take a lot out of like off my plate mm. and specifically do things that really move the needle because I can get so distracted by the little things that I can kind of do so, like do all these little things in a day and then be like, oh, now I've got to do that big task that yes. I should have done in the yeah. morning. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the questions I really had a rant then, but a lot of the questions I get is, you know, how do you manage your time? Because that's something that ADHD people struggle with. Mm. How do you emotionally regulate? Um, uh, what exercise do you do? But these are questions that I actually can't answer from a place of um, any medical experience. So right. I often just reply with what I do and then I say, you need to go speak to a medical professional because... Like there's a lot of stuff on TikTok which works and like fun little like hacks. But at the end of the day, everyone's ADHD, I guess, is different. Yeah, a lot yeah. of us have like a, an umbrella version of ADHD. Mine's a very clinical version. Um, but there's people with ADD, which is inattentive, that don't have the hyperactivity. So they might just be someone that zones out or struggles a bit with conversation. Maybe they get overwhelmed in social social environments. Mm. I do as well. But because I'm hyperactive, I can mask it. Right. So it's an interesting one. I'm learning a lot about ADHD, which I will share a lot about on my channel um, as well. But so many of the questions are questions that I actually can't answer. Sure. Because it's such a fickle Fickle and personal to that yeah, person as well. Yeah, and different for everyone. Yeah. If you wake up and have having a shit day with regards to emotion regulation, mm. what tools do you have or what practices do you rely on the most to turn that around? What are some of the favor your favourite tools in your toolbox for that? I kind of go in and out of two states. So one is overstimulated or anxious. I like to say overstimulated. Um, or sometimes I'll tell myself if I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling alive today. Mm. Like my heart is racing. I'm feeling alive. So in situations like that, and I'm feeling really anxious, the best thing for me to do is to kind of match that energy. So I, if I'm really anxious, I'm not going to sit down and journal because my, my, my thoughts are scattered. Sure. It's unclear. So if I'm feeling really scattered or anxious, I like to do the physiological sigh, which is by Dr. Andrew Huberman, which is a double inhale through the nose and an exhale through the mouth. That is like an instant state change. Mm. That will bring your cortisol down straight away. How many times do you do that? Normally about five rounds. Okay. 
Yeah. So it's like <sighs> mm. as many rounds as you want. But I normally just honestly, if you do it properly, you only need like five rounds. Yeah, wow. Just and I do it throughout the day. If I'm feeling anxious, running really helps me or walking. Yeah. Um, but there's no point in trying to sit down and journal if I'm feeling anxious. If I'm the opposite and I'm feeling, um, oh, cold shower. Cold shower or an ice bath. If you don't have your hands on an ice bath, obviously yeah. that's hard. But a cold shower is really good. Also just lying on the floor. Like if I'm feeling really anxious, I'll lie on the floor and I'll just put my hands on my heart and I'll just call in like bright white light. Mm. Or like I'm actually not religious, but sometimes like I'll pray and I'll just like take a moment. Yeah. Uh, connect to my higher self, connect to higher spirit and just fucking breathe. Yeah, um, yeah. It depends on kind of what anxiety I'm feeling at the time. Journaling for me, I struggle with if I'm feeling anxious because I actually just can't get the words out. Mm. So if I'm feeling really anxious, I'll voice note in my phone and type it out mm. because I'm just getting it out. I'm just like talking to myself. Like I might be like, fuck, what just happened? That was so like, and talk it out. And then I don't actually have to bother my girlfriend or my mom or someone by trauma dumping. I can literally right. just say it and then I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. It's a bit weird. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. And then if I'm feeling like low or I need energy or if I'm feeling flat, journaling is a really good one for me because I'm calm enough and slow enough to have the thoughts come out really naturally and slowly. Mm. If I'm feeling flat, or low, I don't often exercise until I've kind of gotten my energy back up um, or I've identified what the emotional issue is. Mm. Um, so like I said, recently I've been grieving. So I don't feel like exercising. And because I've spent so much time exercising, I will actually wait for those emotions to pass. And often that is through breath work um, the emotions will come up a lot during breath work. My subconscious will come alive when I'm journaling um, or meditating. Um, and then often when I've processed those emotions, my energy will come back up. Mm. Getting in the ocean, getting in the sunshine, having a sauna, um, kind of being slow. And more often than not, once I've given myself the time and the grace and the love that I need, my energy starts to come back up. Interesting. But I try not to force myself out of that too much. Sure. When I was flat, I used to just go exercise. Yeah. But I'm actually just actually suppressing what emotions need to come up mm. because when the emotions come up, I've processed them, I've processed them fast, and then I've self-regulated and I can actually just get on with what I needed to get on with. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool to hear just how aware of you are of the different energy states and what you can do to tailor to each one of those yeah. when you have those hyperactive, anxious thoughts yeah. that there's no point journaling them out because it's like spewing out into a piece of paper. It doesn't make sense either. Yeah, I've done that before and it, it's just rambling. It's not actually helping. In those moments, you have that hyperactive energy, so that's when you kind of need to burn it off with a walk or a run or yeah. just focus on your breathing. Also, it's like the nothing will shock you more than an ice bath. Right. So it's like if you are feeling really anxious – 
getting in an ice bath is the like it stresses you out so much that you have to stay calm. Mm. So it's like almost it does actually push these feelings out of you. I hate ice bathing, but I just started doing it. Um, but I will do the same in the cold shower. Nothing takes your breath away more than a cold shower or getting in the ocean. Like, Yeah, not as cold, but it does the job. It does the job. Are you ice bathing at home? Do you do that on a daily? No, I was ice bathing in Bali a lot and in in Mexico on our trip. I'm not ice bathing a lot, but I was, and it was helping me a lot. With ADHD, ADHD is a dopamine dopamine deficit. So um, things like social media and scrolling on TikTok or getting any kind of like cheap dopamine really fucks you up. So in any way you can get uh, natural dopamine through sunshine, exercise, um, an ice bath and gives you a 200% increase in dopamine, which Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about and breathwork does. These tools that help your dopamine, it's not just people with ADHD. If you're feeling flat, you likely are feeling low in dopamine or serotonin Mm. for whatever reason. Um, But having those little tools to help pick you up works a treat. Or just sleeping in, you know, like giving yourself a rest. Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you have a a morning routine that you follow or is it based on how you're feeling on the day? I used to have a really rigid morning routine, very rigid. And now I'll always make my bed. I always have coffee. I'll always sit and I don't leave the house until I'm feeling like I've woken up. Interesting. So I don't rush out the door ever. I actually take a few hours to get going in the morning. So I honor that. Mm. Um... I do journal in the morning. Sometimes I don't. I always plan my day. So my day is very structured. I know and I color code where I am, where I'm going to be, how long it's going to take. Like that's pretty controlled. Right, right. Um, And I will plan out my day like that. Like I said, we don't have a boss. So like if you don't, I have deadlines. It all has to be organized. So journaling, mapping out my day, sitting, having coffee, having quiet time. And then often I'll actually do listen to a podcast in the morning as well. Mm Um, I'm trying to introduce meditation again, but um, because I haven't been meditating, I'll start off literally with like two or five minutes. Or I also listen to a hypnosis by um, Marissa Peer. So I do actually, I do actually have a morning routine, but depending on what I need in that day, I kind of change it. Sure. Yeah. So if I'm feeling anxious, I'll won't do any breath work or meditation until I've done some exercise or I've done something to, it kind of goes in order. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if I need to exercise and I'm feeling anxious, there's no point trying to sit down and be still. I can do some breath work or some meditation. Sometimes it's just in the car after the gym mm. just to recenter, but it's kind of got to go in order. But it's taken me a long time to figure out what order what that is. What the order it is. Yeah. And if you throw coffee in there, you can't do that before your meditation. Yeah. So there are a little bit of nuance about how you place those yeah. things. If, if you're doing a breath work in the car, is that the same Huberman physiological Physi- side? Physiological side. Um, the physio- physiological side is something that I do to upregulate. So that's something if I need energy, um, it definitely de-stresses you, but that's something that I like to do to give myself more oxygen. If I'm trying to be more mindful and be more slow, I will do uh, the box breath. So that's in for four, hold for four, out for four, repeat. Um, Very similarly is the four, seven, eight. In for four, hold for seven, out for eight, um, which is a longer exhale. Mm. So for me, if I'm trying to bring more oxygen in the body, it is a faster breath. And if I'm trying to de-stress and de-calm my body, it is a longer out-breath. Interesting. So um, I guess depending on how I'm feeling, I'll change up what kind of breath work I'm doing. Sure. But it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You can literally breathe and repeat the mantra, let go. 
Right. Like whatever works for you. You can Google them. You can watch them on YouTube. Even just putting your hand on your heart and just feeling your heartbeat while you breathe. Mm. One of the breath works I do that I've spoken about a few times on this podcast is it's very similar to a physiological sigh where you're doing two inhales and one exhale, but it's more rapid and you do it for a longer period of time. Fun. It's great. And by the end of it, I am just in this euphoric bliss. I'm not sure what it's called. It's on a YouTube video that I'll link yeah, and I'll send it to you me? for sure. Yeah. But I found, I found it so powerful. If I'm feeling wound up or stressed, I'll do this breath work and it goes for about half an hour. But by the end of that, you're able to just clearly see what's stressing you out, what's good in your life, what's important to your life. Hey, please send that. It, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. I've done some breath work, holotropic breath work that's brought back memories from when I was a kid. Really? So like breath work is extremely powerful. So powerful. Yeah. We did I did this big journey in Bali actually and um, I couldn't believe what was coming up. Just old memories. I'm like, what? It's amazing that through breath work, you can tap into your subconscious. Like mm. how through breath can How's you have memories come up? It's bizarre. Mm. When you first started living with G, was there yes. any sort of, you know, with what you were speaking about before with your control that might be yeah. um, spilled over from your career in athletics, was there any things like that that came into the relationship that you had to address? Yes, plenty. Um, is she just going to be not? Yeah. <laughs> Bless her. She's such a she's she she loves control too. So we both we both love control. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I am a lot better with surrendering. I would say that I probably probably go with the flow a lot more now. Um, but in our relationship, I definitely have come to the table as like Coach Katie or. Um, you know, like even this morning I sent her a list of like, we should have non-negotiables in our relationship, which sometimes I'm like, fuck, that's so intense. But like it, 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 like having these, and sometimes I do have to check myself because I can get quite serious about this stuff. Like self-development for me, like you, is my number one. Like I am obsessed with self-development. I listen to self-development podcasts every day. I have for 10 years. Like mm. this space for me is amazing. Like I love looking at things that need improving and tweaking, but that is not, necessary in a relate like it is yeah. necessary in a relationship but it's also like a lot so yeah many times she said to me can you just chill out like I feel like there's pressure on us I feel like there's pressure on me like can we just like have fun and mm. it's easy which we do have so much fun but it is easy for me to slip back into I would say like yeah coach Katie or athlete Katie or like let's have do this and do this and let's talk about this and what did you mean about that and I can be very critical and analyze things and that hasn't served me in our relationship. Mm. So the reason why I was talking about the non-negotiables is we both work from home and she doesn't have as much alone time as me. And I think, you know, I said to her, it's important for both of us, which she agreed. She actually said to me, I need more alone time. Because when we both work for ourselves, we're home all day, we might muck around together, but we don't do, lately we haven't been um, having enough alone time so that we miss each other. Mm. Yeah. Um, but... Even like she said to me yesterday, can we not talk about work after 6 p.m.? So I love talking about work. I can be obsessed with work. Yeah, yeah. And I think about things, I'm excited. And like, it's so easy for me to like funnel into something, like whether that's from being an athlete or ADHD or just obsessed with things. 
So having non-negotiables like days where I go work from, like a friend of mine has an office space now or go to the library. So she has alone time. Mm. That's important. And that's going to be hopefully non-negotiable now. It's like there's specific days where she gets the house to herself. I go to the library or maybe I'm recording and I give her that space. Yeah. yeah. Um, And the no uh, work chat because I do talk a lot about work. Right. Yeah. So yes, it has come into our relationship a lot. Um. But someone needs, it's important to have the balance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's incredibly relatable, especially where most people were working from home together. It's an interesting point about having time alone so that you miss each other. But it's also, I find I need that time alone to reflect on myself as well and have those nights with the journal and be like, oh, yeah, this came up on the weekend. How can I address that and move forward? Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm in a relationship now and while we're not living together, we'll go four days together on the weekend and I don't have those moments to myself where I'm able to just sort of regroup and yeah. recenter. So that must be difficult when you do start living together to try and find those moments. So it is cool that you guys have. You have to. And then, you know, it's like how do you create, how do you create enough space so that there's desire and enough space that you are not feeling each other's emotions? It's very different as well with two women because there's a lot more emotions. I've mm. previously dated men. So the... It's, it has been different because there is a, there's just a lot more emotions. It's like a sixth sense you have. Yeah. Like I can look at her and like, I know what you're thinking. She can look <laughs> at me and be like, I know what you think. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, so creating space is important. And, you know, I, because I work for myself, obviously I have a, a beautiful manager who I can bounce ideas off, but I have always been a solo person. So mm. I don't have a boss to talk to. I don't get feedback. I don't have... Like my compass is all internal. So sometimes I'm like, do you think this is a good idea? Can you help me with this? But she's doing her work. So she's building her business. I'm building mine. And it's sometimes hard to have boundaries because more so for me, because I'm on my own so Mm. much, I'm like, she can't be my go-to for everything. Mm. Like, which is why journaling is something that is more, it's actually more important for me to do now because I don't want to come to her and like sometimes I can figure the a lot of the time I can figure this shit out on my own. Yeah. So it is having boundaries and respecting each other's peace. Sure. I think. Because she's a makeup artist and yes. she would be receiving that from clients. She'd be seeing clients all day, all day. bouncing things off her. Yeah. So maybe after 6 p.m. she just wants to shut off. Yeah. Whereas you're like, because you've been working <laughs> well, I've been in isolation. Home all day and I'm like, hey, baby. Yeah. Like, she's like, Shh. bring it on in. Man, <laughs> I can relate to that so hard. <laughs> well, you are, you're home. I think as well, if you're sitting at home all day, like let's say you've been editing all day or you've been on your emails all day or you've been filming or something, you've ha- haven't had social interaction. So like, you know, your partner walks through the door and you're like, hey, like, yeah. how are you? And yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking tired. I'm and you're exhausted. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Zoe works in a corporate job. Yeah. So she's going off to the city Tuesday to Thursday, nine to five. Sometimes... It's not quite shame, but I feel a little bit. Yes. There's something about working at home all day and being at home all day. And she yeah. comes to him and I'm like, oh, no, I've just been here at the same spot where you left me. And yeah, just a little bit. It's yeah. not shame, but it you know what shame. I mean? It's like, yeah. It's a, yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of feeling a little bit like you're not working. Yeah. But it's like you almost have to prove yourself. Like, look what I've done today. Yeah. Like, because it's like I've done a lot. It's just that you can't see it. Mm. Like, or it might be going back and forth with a client on a video and it's like you only really see the finished product but you haven't seen the behind the scenes that's of it. like yeah. the, how long it took to get to here. Yeah, and that's why the podcast is so good because I can sit down with people for an hour and, yeah. and connect. Yeah, get that fix. Yeah, get the, get the connection fix. Yeah. And so, you know, I've just loved to see how much you're owning your sexuality in the last couple of years. 
if you had some advice for listeners who yeah. are sort of either questioning theirs or just coming to terms with accepting their sexuality, what piece of advice would you offer them? The question that I had to ask myself when I was struggling with my sexuality was, what is my heart telling me? And it's very hard to remove, especially with sexuality, because there's so many societal beliefs and judgment um, from the external. What do I actually feel? I had a lot of uh, homophobic internal beliefs that weren't mine. Mm. Like I, I came from a Catholic school. I didn't grow up knowing anyone gay. I didn't have any visibility on anyone that wasn't, that everyone was just straight. Mm. So, you know, I moved out to the city and realized, oh, there's like bi girls, there's bi guys, there's this whole world, oh, there's, there's lesbians, there's gays, there's queers, whatever, however you identify, there's mm. everyone. And there's so much more visibility and acceptance. I had to, the question that I, that kept me so strong in my sexuality was, what is my heart telling me? Because my heart was telling me so different to what my mind was telling me. Mm. So my heart and my intuition was telling me to like lean in, lean in. This is scary, but lean in. And then my head was saying, what are you, what the fuck? Like, you've been straight your whole life. Like what, like, I was never fully straight, but like, you know, like, for most of my life, I was straight. Mm -hmm. And then it was only in the last like four or five years where I've questioned, I've questioned what I felt and I was starting to feel different to what I felt for most of my life. Mm. But at my core, I was being guided by my intuition. I was being guided by my heart and my head would get involved and be like, what the, what are you doing? You think you're, you think you're gay now? I had all these thoughts and I was like, these are not my thoughts because my heart was just saying, just lean in. Mm. You're going to be okay. Just do what feels right. Like you got to test the waters. And I tested the waters and I was like, well, this is fun. Like I like this. Um, and it wasn't that long into my sexuality journey that I met Georgia. It was about th two years um, of doing therapy, thank God, mm. um, and also exploring my sexuality. So when I met her... I was like, because I met her and I was like, I'm never going to date a girl. I just had that attitude. I'm not going to date a girl. This is just, I'm just having a bit of fun. I'm just, I was kind of leaning in, you know? Yeah. And I hadn't met someone that I really liked. Um, and I was also like seeing a guy. So I was, it was very, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but once again, I was like, what is my intuition telling me? What is my heart telling me? Like, can I just like lean in with curiosity and not let my mind and anxious thoughts like creep in? Because they're actually not mine. And, and they actually weren't. Um, so by the time I met Georgia, I saw like, I had like a crush on her and I was like, oh my God, I feel, this feels really good. Um, and then I started to develop love. So I had to constantly just come back to heart, head, gut, mm. because heart and gut work kind of similarly. Um, and the head just has nothing to do with anything. Like you can't lead from the head. I don't lead from the head unless you're in a situation where you need to really solve a problem. Sure. But yeah. this is not a problem to solve. It is a problem it is not a problem. It is something that you need to sit with and you need to let yourself expand in. Um, and it's been really beautiful to see that evolve um, and to sit here now really proud of who I was, who mm. I am because it's very different to who I was. And would you say to people listening that, like you were saying, it's 
it's not, it doesn't have to be this huge thing that they're making on their head. They can just lean in, yeah. see what it's like. They don't have to commit to it for life. They just can explore and... Yeah, babe. Like I, what freaked me out was I slept with a girl and then I just had like two weeks of thinking that I was now a lesbian. Mm, <laughs> mm. And I remember being like driving in the car being like, I'm, I'm, I'm gay now. Like what? What? And I didn't know who to talk to about it. And I was like, this is so weird. I don't know anyone who's gay. Am I gay? What? Yeah. And then I had to just, I really very quickly said like the repeated thoughts were like, chill the fuck out. Like chill out. You don't have to have this like your identity is not crumbling. Mm. You, don't, you don't have to be a lesbian because you slept with one girl. You can still have feelings for guys. This was when I was 26 and now 30. So there was just a lot going on in my head and I had to just tell myself, just relax, like do what you want. You mm. can still do this and do that. You don't have to be this way or that way. And now with my sexuality, you know, I'm in a lesbian relationship and it's taken me a long time to be okay with people being like, you're gay, you're a lesbian because I identify as myself, I identify as Katie. And the person that taught me that was Georgia I met Georgia and she said, I asked her about her sexuality. I was like, are you bi? Because she dates guys and girls. This is when I, this is about three, it's almost three years ago when I said this to her. Wow. And she said, I'm just Georgia. And God, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear she's just herself. And I now have that thought, like I'm just me. Like when I was an athlete, I'm not just an athlete. Mm. When I was vegan, I'm not just vegan. Like, and now it's like, oh, I'm just me. And this, my sexuality is fluid and evolving and open. It doesn't have to be your bi, gay, straight. Like some days I dress like a tomboy. Some days I'm really feminine. Like some days Georgia wears the pants. Some days I wear the pants. Mm. Like it doesn't have to be this black and white thing. It's constantly evolving. And it's so fine to just not put a label because that was the thing that really screwed my mind up. Mm. And as soon as I was just leading with the heart and surrendering and just letting myself be curious and not judging myself. And sometimes you've just got to lean in to see what it feels like. Maybe it doesn't feel right. That's okay. Mm. If it doesn't feel right, that's all good. You take a step back. It's actually testing your own boundaries a little bit, but leading from the heart and actually sitting with how you feel, you, not your mom, not your dad, not your Catholic school, mm. not anyone else's projected views, because you have to be strong in your sexuality. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Mm. You touched on this before with the emotions, but what were the some of the biggest unexpected surprises about entering relationship with Georgia that surprised you in a, in a positive way or that you didn't expect coming into that relationship? I think the level of emotional intimacy, mm. I haven't experienced that level of emotional intimacy ever. I don't, you know, I talk to G about it a lot and we kind of often say, is it a girl thing or is it a human thing? Because I have met a lot of men that are really emotionally mature and in touch, but I've never dated one. And George is the same. She's never dated a really emotionally aware or really emotionally mature guy. So sometimes I think it's a girl thing. But sometimes I think maybe it's just a human thing. The difference with men and women for me has been when you date a woman, there is a lot more talk. For me, for me, this is my experience, there's been a lot more talk about how we feel. 
there's been a lot more like in intuition between us. Mm. I do feel that with a female connection, it's a bit more of a sixth sense. Yeah. Um, you know, you both have your periods, you both are more emotional. There's a lot more things that bond you, like you get your nails done, you go to saunas together. And there's, for me in the relationships I've had with men, there was a lot more probably like adrenaline thrill-seeking, yeah. like I'm a tomboy, so like motorbike riding or um, jet skiing and that kind of stuff or surfing. So for me, it's just been a very different, like I would bond with my ex-boyfriends over those activities. But then with Georgia as this like safe, holy um beautiful connection that I've never experienced in my life. But I've also fallen in love. Mm. And I don't think that I've ever really truly been in love until now. Like I've loved people and I thought I was in love, but now have having fully been in love and actually truly accepting and loving her at her full capacity, that's just like just fucking amazing. Mm. Well, that's really beautiful, Katie. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I think that's a really good spot to leave this on. Yeah. But before I do let you escape, I'm, oh. I have a question which I ask everybody. <laughs> yeah. And this being the Becoming podcast, the question is, who are you becoming? Who's the the most self-actualized version of Katie that you try to really step into every day? When I meditate, I always call in higher self. And higher self is, I don't know, call it source, call it God, call it the universe. For me, the higher self version of me is more compassionate, allows a real balance of mask and fam energy, um, doesn't judge myself because when you judge others, you judge yourself and vice versa, mm. um, and believes in, the, believes in myself. Something that I do struggle with is self-belief, even though it might not seem that way. I definitely have limiting beliefs that I'm working through. So the person I guess that I'm trying to become is someone who cares more about the shit that matters and less about the stuff that doesn't. And I think since turning 30, I've really removed myself from people and drama and I hate gossip, I hate small talk and I'm so much more discerning with who and, and what I spend my time on and with. Mm. So that version of me is has stronger boundaries, more compassion and probably knows what she stands for more. And I actually do believe that I am that person. There's just a lot of refining um, to go. Mm, and maybe that will be an endless pursuit that we're... It's never, it's never going to end because it's always, it's always evolving. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much. That was, that was very powerful. Guys, if you haven't heard it, go listen to Katie's podcast, Better For It, or find yeah. her on Instagram at Katie Williams. Thank you for coming on and sharing your value today. Thank you, Nick. Really appreciate you. Loved it. Loved our chat. <laughs>